grateful this morning that you are aware of every minute detail in our lives. And I thank you that you came to this earth so that you can sympathize with our weaknesses. You went through everything we face here in this sin-curse-filled world. You faced it for us. You bore it. You experienced it. But yet you triumphed over it. And because of your life that you gave for us on that cross, and because you rose from the dead, you are at the right hand of the Father, Lord. You're at the place of all authority. You're at that place of intercession, Lord. And your promise is, though I go away, lo, I will be with you to the ends of the earth. And Lord, I thank you that you're with us. You're with Chris. You're with all those that mourn and grieve this day, Lord. You are a comforter. You are everything to us, Lord. You are our life. And Lord, I pray you'll make that real to us. Even though we suffer in this life, Lord, you are our life. And we have a living hope. We're not bound to this earth because of what you did, Lord. We're not bound to destruction and hopelessness, Lord, because of what you did. So, Lord, lift us above today the weightiness of this world, the cares of this life, the things that weigh us down, Lord. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Let your word produce in us what you desire it to produce in us this morning, Lord. Use me, your servant, Lord, to convey your heart, to speak the words you want to speak this morning, God. Anoint the word, let it produce in the hearers your plan and your purpose. So we thank you, Lord. Have your way in all of us this morning. In Jesus' name. As I was praying uh, this weekend to the Lord and just seeking Him, Lord, what do you want to say to us today? I was really having a hard time just getting clarity on what it was you wanted to speak to us. And uh, something happened yesterday, and I just told Rose, I got to go down to the woods. I got to be, I got to be with God. Took my dog with me, and we went down there with a fire, and uh, just sat there and talked with the Lord for a while, and chose to rejoice and chose to believe Him, despite how I felt and what I felt. And then I came up the hill and got the text about Chris's son, and I just wept. I wept for Chris, I wept for his son, I wept for the family, but I also wept with Christ, it felt like. And for a moment I thought, Lord, I don't know how you bear all the heartache, all the sorrow, all the grief that humans experience in this world because of sin, because of the curse. But yet he does, he's acquainted with grief. He wept when his friend lie in the tomb. He wept when he saw the mourners. He understands. He he does sympathize. And there's something very powerful and intimate when we share in that with him. And even though we're in that state, coupled with it is the hope that he provides. Because without that, like the psalmist says, you know, if I didn't uh, believe, I would see or sent or be in the presence of the Lord. Um, well, here in your uh, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His confidence. That's our anchor, Lord. If it wasn't for you, Lord, if you weren't real and alive. 
and seated on the throne. If your presence wasn't here with me, Lord, I would not be able to gather. Lord, I thank you you're here. You're here for Chris. You're here for all that are grieving and mourning and sensing the weightiness of this sin-cursed world. And so he led me to Philippians 3. And we're going to be looking at that, but I'm going to start off in Philippians 1. And the title of what I believe the Lord wants to say to us today is found in Philippians 1, 21, where Paul says, To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. So for me to live is Christ. That is my, it was Paul's testimony. It's my testimony. It's your testimony. If you have put your faith in Christ, your life is in Christ. What does that mean? It means whatever life I have, whatever time I have, whatever strength I have left, it's all His while I still dwell here on the earth. And He is my sole object for which I live. Uh, The message of the cross, the good news of the gospel has become the central theme, the purpose of my remaining life here on earth. And death has become to me even a living hope because of what Jesus has done. A far better thing than my earthly life where I enter into the eternal joys of my salvation to the inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for me and for you. And Lord, I thank you this morning that for me to live is Christ. It is you. You are my life, Lord. You have become our life. You are everything, Lord. There'd be no purpose. There'd be no hope without you, Lord. And I thank you this morning that you are our life. Paul goes on in verse 22, If I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet, what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to, to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and the joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit. That is the hope of any minister, the hope of any pastor, the hope of anyone who God has entrusted people under his care, that they would stand fast at their lives would testify of the power and the hope of the gospel that they would continue in it. And that's what he's saying. That you stand fast, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's what we're doing here. That's what this is all about. But as we see, there's suffering involved with that, because it costs for that and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. All the opposition that comes with that, which is to them a proof of of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His name's sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now hear. My life is in Christ. He has become everything to me. He is the center of my inward life. He sits enthroned on my heart. The life I live now, I live for Him. I'm consumed with Him. His love has permeated my heart. 
He has unveiled His mercy to me in the message of the cross. And my life now is in Him. And even though I die, it's a gain to me because I'll be with Him forever. And Paul's caught between those two things. One, to be with Him. That I might be with Him, but also the life He must live now for the sake of others. To share Him with others. That's one thing. However long that would be. So when someone encounters the gospel, when someone encounters the message of the cross, its value, its worth, is worth forsaking everything for. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 13, 45. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went out and sold all that he had and bought. That's a picture of Christ. That's a picture of the work of our salvation and what he did on the cross. And when someone encounters that, they understand it's worth forsaking everything about my life to obtain that one thing. That's what motivates us. It's the love of Christ. It's the reality that He gave His life for me, that I didn't deserve, that while I was yet a sinner, an enemy of God, He loved me and He died for me. He forgave me a debt I could not pay. And in the reality of that, I offer myself up to Him as a living sacrifice because He's worth everything. He's worth it all. So Paul now, we're going to go over to Philippians 3, and I'm going to start in verse 7. Speaking along these same thoughts says, So what things were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ. And what he's talking about there, he just mentioned in verses 4 through 6. I mean, he was of the stock of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had status. He had position. He had learning. He had um, honor in society. He had everything going for him in the religious realm of his day. Pedigree. And when he found Christ, or Christ found him, he saw it worth forsaking but he didn't, didn't stop there. He, said, he goes on in verse 8. He says, Yet indeed, I also count all things. All things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, <coughs> and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. So he expands his thought. To all things. Everything had no value. Everything under the sun, everything you can think about about your life has no value compared to Christ. We have to get a hold of that. That's a knowledge that only God can make real. You know, as I sat by the fire yesterday, you know, it's interesting how a dog, somehow they know when the dog passed. He moped with me for two hours. Just laid there, didn't budge. Um, and you know, the Lord, I know, is with me there. He's with you in those times. He's there, just sitting with you, just being with you. Just His presence there, just His arm around you. Even though you might not feel, but trust me, He's there. He's there in a very real, precious way in those times. We just have to remember that He's there. Remind ourselves that He is with us, that His presence is with us. And, you know, I was telling Rose this morning, I'm so thankful for what God is doing because there was just faith in me to believe that yesterday. And I, I was able to just express, Lord, thank you. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what's going on right now. You're here. Thank you, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that all these things, they're, they're not worth me 
being downcast in comparison to you and the hope and reality that you have given me in my life. And I just began to express faith to him and just talk back to him what he has already revealed about himself to me. Knowing Christ, that's what it means to know him, a personal knowledge. That's what God wants. That was the promise in Ezekiel 36. That's the promise of the new covenant. They will know me from the least to the greatest. I will put my spirit in you. I will open up your understanding to know me. That's what salvation is all about, knowing God. Not just an intellectual understanding. It's so much deeper than that. It's a heart knowledge. It's something the natural reasoning mind cannot understand because the natural reasoning mind cannot know God. It's spiritually imparted. We talked about it in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 where it says, the spirit where it reveals from spirit to spirit the deeper things of God. And it's talking about the gospel. It's talking about the realities of the gospel and the mercy and the love that God displayed in the gospel towards us. The depth of that is so fathomless, the angels want to look into it. They don't even understand the depths of the riches of the love of Christ that is revealed in the cross. And God wants us to plunge the depths of that, to know more and more of it every day. Just the realities of what he has done, a personal knowledge. Jesus said in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I'm known by my own. They know me. It's a knowledge of love. It's a knowledge of intimate, personal communion. It's a relationship. It implies His presence that is with us and in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Everything else is rubbish compared to that knowledge. Or as another translation says, dumb compared to knowing Him. And then the verse says, and to be found in Him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith. And obviously for Paul, he's coming against the whole idea of thinking we can work for our salvation, coming against the law. But no, being found in Him, that's the glorious depths of our salvation, that God did what we could not do. He made a way where there was no way found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So everything we have is in Him through faith. 1 Corinthians one thirty says, But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Everything we possess, everything I have, is because of who Jesus is and what he's done for me. He's become for me wisdom. When I put my faith, when that light pierced my heart, Jesus and him crucified, I became wise. You became wise by the work of Christ. We weren't fools anymore. We weren't like those who are perishing, that deny the truth, that don't know God. He became for us wisdom. And it's by his example and teaching that we become more acquainted with the true character of God, with his law, with our own condition, with the great truth that there is eternal life in Him. And God desires us, again, to grow more and more and more in that knowledge of Him. He became to us righteousness. I remember one day thinking about my sin and just the things I still see in my life and just realizing 
that when I stand before him, all I have is the blood of Christ. There is nothing else I can stand on but the blood of Christ. He becomes a covering for our sins, a cleansing from all unrighteousness, something the law could not do. Just that alone shows me the value of what Jesus did. He also became my sanctification. That's the power of God to those who are being saved. It's the only agent, the Holy Spirit, the power of God that is actually able to change from what I was to what He wants me to be. I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new because He's sanctifying me. He's changing me. And He's also become my redemption. He's the author of redemption. He purchases me from the servitude of Satan. He breaks the dominion of sin over my life. He frees me from death, from bondage, from corruption. He brings me into the glorious liberty of the sons of God and the redemption of the body. Only the message of the cross can provide that. And in it, we have a living hope. He goes on in verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and of the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. This is really the verse that stood out to me yesterday. The sense I have is um, we're all sensing a heaviness. I mean, the news from Chris, that was just over the top. But even besides that, we all are sensing a heaviness. It's partly because of the days we're living. It's also partly because God is working. We have made a decision. And I think Melody shared the dragon is raging. He's not happy. So he's opposing. He's throwing everything he can at us, whether it's discouragement, whether it's slander, whether it's this, whether it's that. Whether we just feel overwhelmed, we're sensing it, we're feeling the weight of it. And we need to know Him in the power of His resurrection, but also in the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means we may obtain to the resurrection of the dead. Jesus is who He said He is. Romans 1, verse 3 says, Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. No other religion can claim that. Because Jesus rose, he is who he said. And that knowledge empowers us. It gives our faith, everything we believe, its substance. If He didn't raise, our faith is futile. All His promises, they mean nothing. But He did rise. Jesus was who He said He was. 1 Corinthians 15, 7, If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Romans 10, 9, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You believe he is the Son of God. The whole message, the whole reality surrounding the cross becomes a wonder of wonders when we understand that. The message of the cross talked about in 1 Corinthians 1.18, which is foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's what resurrection power is all about. Because I live, Jesus said in John 14, 19, you will live also. By that same power, we are able to subdue sin. We are able to walk as he walked. 
we are able to be effective witnesses for Him. That's what He meant in that chapter in Ezekiel 36. I will put My Spirit in you. I will cause you to walk in My statutes. I will empower you to live the life I've called you to. Romans 8, verse 11 tells us, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays a prayer for these new converts in verse 15. He says, When I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I did not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of His glory, of His inheritance in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion that every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that age which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet. He's given him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. My prayer is for you that God will just make that a reality for you. So when you feel weighed down, when you feel like I can't go on, when you feel like this is too hard, when you feel like I don't understand what's going on, you understand He's alive. He's enthroned. He's over everything. He has all authority. Everything is subservient to Him. Everything. Even the devils are subservient to him. Everything is under his feet. He is in control, not the devil. He is in control. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to get you where he's called you to go. He knows how to give you everything you need. He knows how to uphold you by his grace and by his power when you're weak. He knows how to speak the words to you that you need to hear in whatever situation you find yourself in. If you're listening, I chose to just go down in the woods. I didn't know what to do. It wasn't until I came up and used the situation with Chris who spoke to me. And all it was, I just needed one word. He understands. He knows. He's in control. In Acts 1.8, after Jesus rose from the dead, he said to his disciples, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses. I don't care how bad the world's gotten. I don't care how lost this generation seems. I don't care how impossible it looks. He's going to have witnesses on this earth. He's going to have witnesses in this community that are full of the Holy Spirit, that are walking in the power of God, that are effective witnesses. He will, because He promised. So we should be seeking Him for the Holy Spirit in that way. 
you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, Samaria and all to the ends of the earth. But it comes at a price that I also might know him in the fellowship of his, of his sufferings. Now, that's what he's going to bring us into now. And I just, you could call it a prophetic word if you, if you want. I know it's true because uh, he's preparing us. He's preparing us. He's bringing all of us to a different level. He's maturing us. He's establishing us in faith. He's firming up the foundation so we'll stand. And that only comes one way. Suffering. Trials. And so expect that God is going to lead us into more suffering. But really, it's what we should long for. That I might know Him in the fellowship of His sufferings. Why would we want that? Why would Paul want that? Because that's where you plunge the depths of the reality of what He did for you on the cross. That's where you begin to understand just a little bit what He was willing to go through to give you life. How do I know? How do I relate to His sufferings? Well, I look at how he suffers or suffered. Isaiah 53 gives me a little picture. He's despised and rejected. You'll be despised and rejected. He's a man of sorrows. He grieves with those who grieve. He weeps over what sin does in this world. He weeps over people that don't respond to him. He's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. Very acquainted. Much more than we are. He sees everything. The most horrible things we can imagine. And he carries that grief in his heart. This pure, holy, loving God that didn't know sin. Experience all the pain, all the sorrow of this world. He took it upon himself. And he sees everything. And he grieves inside. He grieves mostly when people just don't believe him. Because he is love. He's a long-suffering God. He doesn't desire that any will perish. But yet, even though he loves and is long-suffering, he gets rejected. He's not esteemed. He knows what that's like. He bears our griefs. He carries. In other words, that's what compassion is. You don't just go, oh, oh I, I really feel bad. No, you enter into that person's grief, just like we're doing with our brother. You enter in, their grief becomes your grief. Their sin, in a sense, becomes your sin. You bear it. You, you intercede. You stand in the gap. You identify with them. You understand you're no different. You understand what God has done for you. And you bear with them in that. You enter into it. You roll your sleeves up. You get dirty. That's what compassion does. You don't just pass by the guy on the side of the road and go, oh, poor guy. No, you enter in, you get your money out, you get a room, you clean them up, you get involved with their life. That's what Jesus did. That's what he does all the time. But he uses us to do that. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Can we not suffer a little so that someone else might know him and not experience his forgiveness? And then this is the one that always gets me the most. He's teaching me more and more how to do this. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not 
He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That is the ultimate in I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's embracing our own death. That's what God's calling us to do. Embrace our own death of our own will, of our own plans, our own desires. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. This is what we shy away from or what we reject many times when we receive or are led astray by a watered-down gospel. It avoids us. But this is part of it. Embracing my death. Being conformed to his death. First Peter 4 Verse 1 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same minds. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And I'll say this to us. I believe God would say this to the church today. Not just this church, but to the church down in verse 12. Beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though something strange. Don't be surprised when it gets hard. Don't be surprised at the opposition and all the things that are going to come against his people, against you, against me in the days to come. But rejoice! <laughs> rejoice! We gotta learn that now. That's what he's trying to teach us. Rejoice, even though it's hard, even though you feel like I can't bear this. This is too hard. But Lord, thank you. You did so much more than what I'm going through. Just hearing what happened to Chris dissolved my faith, and I just wept and I thought. Why am I even worried about this stuff? And then you go beyond that and you think about Christ and what he went through and all the abuse, all the things he took upon himself, and he did it joyfully. And he gave and he gave, and no matter what you did to him, only love came out. I want that. I pray for that. Well, then God brings things in my life. Okay. I'm answering your prayer. You want to be humble? I'm answering your prayer. Keep your mouth shut. Do what I did. Go as a lamb to the slaughter. Lose your reputation. I didn't have one. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. Oh, how hard it is to die, though. Right? But when you look at him and you look at him and you look at him, it's not hard. Get out, nevertheless, not I. Lord, this is nothing compared to what you did. Nothing. And you did it for me. So that I might know him. Yes, in the power of his resurrection, but also in his sufferings. You gotta have both. He goes on, um, Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, He's blasphemed, but on your part, He is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, a busybody in other people's mouths. In other words, we can suffer for the wrong things. Don't do that. But if you're suffering because you're going after God, because you've chosen the narrow way, because you're embracing a course, because you want to walk as He walked, you want to walk in humility, you want to love as He loved you. Well, if anyone suffers as a Christian, 
Christian, don't be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who don't obey the gospel? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner be? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful Lord. Just committing, keep committing yourself to him. He goes on to be conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, to die is gain. Second Corinthians four, verse seventeen. Our light affliction is but for a moment; it's working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. For why we don't look at the things which are seen, but that the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not are eternal. As I stood sat, staring at the fire yesterday. The Holy Spirit said, you see that fire? You see that wood that is disintegrating? Everything is life in this life. Even your own life is doing that right now. It's fading away. It's fading away. It's just turning to dust. Why are you focusing on that? And he said, look up. Put your eyes on that. Why are you focusing on all this stuff? It's all burning up. It's fading away. We don't look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. The things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not are eternal. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit. We are children of God and we're heirs. We have an inheritance. Joint heirs with Christ. Uh, that's beyond me. Joint heirs with Christ. That's huge. If need be, we suffer with Him. That we may also be glorified together. For I consider the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared to the glory which will be revealed in us. It's not worth it. Then he says, you know, God bless Paul. Not that I've already paid, I haven't arrived. Or I'm already perfected, but I'm pressing on. We need to press on, we need to press on. I'm pressing on. That I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, I'm forgetting those things that are behind Quit looking back. Quit looking at you. Quit looking back at all your failures or whatever it is God has dealt with you about. Quit looking at it. It's in the past. Forgetting those things which are behind. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead. God is taking us somewhere. He's taking you somewhere. Looking forward to the things that are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's not be discouraged. Let's not be distracted from our upward call in Christ Jesus. Let's not grow weary in doing good. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus and run this race with endurance. I know this is hard at times. So does he. He understands. He sympathizes with your weakness. And he just wants you to look to him. He wants you to believe him. He wants you to trust him. Therefore, let us as many as mature have this mind. If anything in you otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Look at all the saints that's gone before us. Look at the saints in Hebrews 11. There's so many examples of people that did what God is calling us to do. Be encouraged by that. 
Put your eyes on that, on those things. You know, read books of, of but their stories. People that went after God, that people that ran their race faithfully to the end, that did exploits for God, that let God use their life the way He wanted to. That will encourage you on. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's encouraging us to maturity. God is. To be of the same mind. He, he talks about that in Philippians 2. That was his whole point in, in, in between sandwich, in, in between these chapters. Fulfill my joy. Be like-minded. Have the same goal. Bear one another. Love one another. Forget about your own interests. Put the interests of others before yourself. Let the mind of Christ be in you. Let go of position and whatever it is in this world you think you got to. Just let it go. Humble yourself. Become a servant. Just give yourself. And God will exalt you. God will exalt you in due time. Just as He exalted Christ. Look to those. Walk by faith. For many walk, he says, of whom I told you often, and I tell you even weeping. They're enemies of the cross. They hear stuff like this, and they come against it because they don't want to die. They want an easy believism gospel. They want something without a cross. They're enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. They don't serve the Lord. They serve their belly, which is a picture of their own carnal desires and passions. They're living indulged in known sin. They're not manifesting the characteristics of those who truly love Him. They have a deep interest in worldly affairs than they do for the cause of Christ. And there's nothing that can make them give up their worldly concerns when God demands it. But it says Paul wept over it, and we should weep over it. We should grieve. Not get critical, not that we should grieve because God grieves over it. It's from this cause that so many so much injury is done to the gospel and to the church. He finishes with this. Our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. For me to live is Christ. For you to live is Christ and to die is gain. God's made a promise to us. He's really encouraging us to just believe him and to let the reality of what Paul lived in become our reality. But it's going to come through trial. It's going to come through suffering. It's going to come through letting him impart to you the knowledge of what he has given to you in Christ. And the only way that's going to happen is by you getting over the scripture reading passages like Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and praying and asking God to open up your understanding to help you understand who you are, what is yours in Christ. And you need to just start walking in it, believing it, not feeling like you don't deserve it because you didn't earn it. It's yours by faith. That's the whole point behind the promise God made to us. It's for His name's sake. You've already responded. We need to take by faith what God has promised to us. We need to understand that our life now is hidden in Christ. He is everything. 
There is no other thing besides Him. He's everything we need. He's everything we should be living for. And He's called us to go and to be His witnesses. We saw a lady with a church uh, a shirt on yesterday. I'd love to get it for us. But it, it just said, church has left the building. She was out. And that's what God's going to do. Church needs to leave this building. God's calling us to be those effective witnesses. So, so don't lose heart. I know it's been hard. I know it feels heavy. But our life is in Christ. He really does have everything we need. And even though we're dying and one day we're ultimately going to die, it's a game. So let's have that same passion Paul had. We're so caught up with him. He has become our life so much that everything in us just wants to be with him. But yet we know while we're still here in this earth, everything we do now is for him. Those are the two things he wants to make more and more real to us. And Lord, I thank you for these dear saints. I thank you, Lord, that they have said yes to you. They've responded to your call. Lord, I pray as Paul prayed for them that you would open up their understanding. Lord, I pray that they would understand the riches the inheritance, everything they have, everything you've provided for them, Lord. I pray they wouldn't live like orphans, Lord. I pray as they get in the Word. I pray as they're seeking you. I pray as they're spending time with Lord. Open up their understanding. Show them, Lord, that their life is in you, Lord, that you are their life. Make it real to them more and more, Lord. Help them to rise above the cares of this life. Help them, Lord, to set their hearts and minds on the things above. Draw them, Lord, to the hope of their salvation, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would be so caught up with you, our hearts would yearn to be with you, as Paul said, Lord, just to, to, to die as gain. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of what's going to happen to me because I'll just be with Jesus. I'm not worried about my life. I'm not concerned about what might happen to me. I know where I'm headed. Lord, make that more real to us. So we won't fear, man. We won't fear what, what might happen to us, Lord. Make it more real. Prepare us, Lord, for the days we're coming into, Lord. Use us in this hour, God. Let our lives be lived in, in their fullest for you in this hour, Lord. And help us to joyfully embrace our death, that your life might reign and rule in us and through us. So God, I thank you and I pray you would impart that knowledge into every heart this morning. You'd lift them up this morning, you'd uphold them, Lord, and God, that you would, you would just pour out your grace on their lives, God. So I thank you, Lord, and I love you, and I'm so grateful for what you're doing. Jesus name.